Welcome to the 444th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with John L. Ford, author of the science fiction novel Dominion. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is John L. Ford, author of the new science fiction novel, Dominion. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. If someone hasn't heard yet about your new novel, Dominion, how would you describe the novel? I would love to describe the novel as a return to the old format. And what I mean by that is that Science fiction, in terms of literary form, really when it first came on as an art form years and years ago, decades ago, with Jules Verne and H.G. Wells and so forth, these are the forefathers of science fiction. They wrote basically in one kind of pillar of science fiction, which is what we call hard science fiction. And since then, we have evolved into what we later call cyberpunk and these other forms of science fiction, which are really more into the humanities, which is how does technology and science affect us on personal or more spiritual level, if you will. And you can write thematic arcs that are focused in either one of these two kind of genres. So subgenres. My novel, I literally consciously attempted to go back to the original form And look at the school of what's happening now in terms of science and technology and try to visualize or extrapolate a vision of the future based on what that might mean in terms of where it's going. And because of that, you really can't write, in my opinion, you really cannot write effectively in either genre without crossing over and borrowing from the other ones. So what my story starts in a very hardcore science fiction form, it will try to artfully guide the reader into more of a spiritual implication or more how it affects the characters within the storyline towards the end of the story. So a little dry at the beginning, but very sweet sort of towards the end. So hopefully that gives you a, a quick rundown of the sure. What was the original impetus or idea, if you remember, that led you to start writing Dominion? I, I get a little personal there. Just to give you a little bit of background, going all the way back, I started at the age of emails <laughs> in the 1990s. I started uh, finding that I couldn't stop writing when I was writing simple emails to friends. <laughs> no. and, and people, I would get positive feedback. And I, I just, this is amazing because when I was growing up, I was literally told by English prof- uh, teachers that I should not try writing. I should just try to avoid it altogether. I was inarticulate and so forth. And But I always... But I I think I'm just naturally inclined to be a communicator. I really am not shy of speech. And I have a pretty, I think, natural flow of consciousness. And I think anybody that's an author, that's whether they're in success or not success, but enjoys authoring, will tell you that they're like that. They get into a flow of consciousness and they just don't want to stop. And that would reflect in the early technology of email and so forth. And I started getting feedback like, you should really try putting these thoughts into some kind of writing project or something of that nature. And I started getting accolades over the years. And I just decided, I guess in my mid thirties to early forties, that maybe I should try and do something because I didn't want to wake up when I was 70 years old and wish I had. I've only got a couple of marbles rolling around in the head or whatever. I'm not trying to say anything bad about it. I'm sure there's plenty of really gifted writers under their hundreds or whatever. But what actually happened is 
It's an interesting kind of thing. I was riding in traffic, listening to NPR, and they had in their technology and science uh, section discussion, they were talking to a neuroscientist at the time. And this is back in like 2006 or 2007, actually. So it's pretty dated in the early inception of this story. And they were talking about these, these biological processes in the human brain. They're called microtubules, which are literally nanoscale protein filaments that are focused in densities along the neurotapestry of the brain. And science, at, according to this interview, science at the time was were trying to determine what process they serve in nature. Because I don't know if, if we know if you know this or not, but as you look around in nature, a lot of times it, it's prevalent that nature doesn't really waste or invent things that it doesn't necessarily use. And for things to survive the evolutionary track, they tend to have a purpose. So what do these purpose serve? So these microtubules. And for some reason, it just hit me that I could create a story where these these microtubules probably have something to do with the emergence of like thought and consciousness and the evolution of of the mind as a gestalt, if you as a synergistic emergence of the brain. Because you have the brain, but the brain isn't you. A brain creates you. You know what I mean? So maybe they were somehow instrumental in all that process. And it just hit me like this ton of bricks of like what a cool story it would be to have an engineer and like a lot of great scientists, like Leonardo da Vinci postulated the the helicopter looking at dragonflies. I don't know if these stories and these kinds of things, a lot of times scientists and engineers rely on nature's model to try and create or mimic different technologies. And so wouldn't it be something if the engineers tried to recreate microtubules using carbon nanotubes and super fiber optics and so forth and these solid state physical materials to try and you know, mimic the processes that they're observing in the human brain to create experimental apparatuses to try and prove certain aspects. And so I just, I started writing and it just flowed right out. And I just created a whole story around that where the consequences of AI or self-awareness in a sense materialize out of the accidents of tinkering in that sort of realm of mimicking nature's process using solid state. So it's basically a marriage of solid state physical components with actual biological physiology. And then out pops these, this, the plausibility of, of artificial intelligence in a unique kind of way. So you heard this, this radio story and that got you thinking and you ended up writing the novel. What was the journey to getting this novel Dominion published? It's, it really was not a very complicated one. I was lucky uh, to put it you know, in simple terms, I had tried uh, a couple of publishing houses and got, I didn't get a rejection letter. I actually got, I went to the right to the top. I tried Prometheus and they actually sent me a letter back saying they wanted several chapters and so forth because they love the concept and their whereabouts. So I sent that material to them. I just never heard back. So I assume no information is as good as a rejection in this industry as it were. But, and then I tried Penguin, and they were kind enough to send me a rejection notice. And then my sister, who's in, who resides in the Mid-Atlantic, was actually, and she's an avid, she's into uh, literature and, and reading and writing and so forth herself. And she, was, she went to uh, an expose at a local Barnes & Nobles and 
my would-be publisher was actually there that day doing a presentation and she just happened an opportunity to introduce herself to this gentleman and she goes if you're looking for science fiction lead-ins right now and she just introduced me and she connected me to him and I sent my material to him and they loved it immediately and said that this is and to my luck he is an accomplished author himself and in science fiction and he really loves the old format. So when he started seeing the way that my story was put together, how Colton Reinhold, the main character, begins in a in an auditorium in college. And not, you know, obviously the story is gonna have some stuff to make it relevant and so forth and make to bring hopefully bring the reader in and so forth. But he has this flash of insight, which is really my flash of insight, but it's going to be told through the lens of the character in the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's listening sure. to the teacher discuss these microtubules and neurons. And, it, you know, I did a lot of research and actual neurobiology and everything to for those opening passages in the story. And anyway, my would-be publisher got wind of the way that was put together in those first several chapters, and he, he couldn't wait to to get to contact me. That's great. Yeah. When did you first discover science fiction literature? Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When I was young, I don't know what young is. I wasn't reading when I was really young. I actually got really into it more when I was a teenager. Like I hear a lot of these stories about people that kind of reclused inside their blanket with a flashlight and stayed up, you know, past their bedtime and read magazines and dumb and all stuff when they were in their adolescence. And that really wasn't me. I was a dreamer by trait. I would I was fascinated with environmental and natural sciences, astronomy, earthquakes, meteorology, as it were, I ended up with a meteorology degree, which is why I'm a software engineer, of course. And I but so as I started to grow up, I started getting into reading and I um, was first introduced to uh, Arthur C. Clarke and I read the ROM his Rama book. And I then I got into Isaac Asimov. I read his Foundation series after that, which is these kind of writers were what I would consider to be crossover writers. They weren't as they weren't as much like the original format. They were both in a in a sense. So maybe my, in some sense, my book is written like my exposure, which is in that kind of arena of those kinds of authors. And I'm a big fan of Michael Crichton, big time. I liked, I loved uh, like the Andromeda Strain and Airframe and those kinds of books that he wrote also later on in his career. So Sure. Yeah. So are you working on another novel now? Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. It's, I, I have an idea that's going to sound kind of way out there, but my idea is that I, I don't know how familiar you are with the background of, of physics, but there are two main pillars of physics that describe the natural universe. One is quantum mechanics, and the other is general theory of relativity. And at a fundamental level, mathematicians cannot reconcile these two disciplines when at the same time, each discipline in its own right is reproducible. 
it's it shows up in experimentation as being factual. So they, for all intents and purposes, based on empirical and objective observation, exist and are real. General theory of relativity is proven all the time by observing large celestial motions in the cosmos and making predictions therein. And quantum mechanics works because we have cell phones. My, I have an idea that tries to maybe reconcile how and why those Basically, when you look at a singularity and a black hole, for example, where the gravity becomes so extreme that light cannot escape and the acceleration of gravity exceeds the speed of light, we call that the event horizon. When you try to plug in general theory of relativity into quantum mechanics, Basically, you get all kinds of crazy divide by infinity expressions in the mathematics, and you can't get those two disciplines to solve. And the physical representation of that failure to to resolve those differences is at the event horizon. Because basically what's happening is that general theory of relativity is a synergistic result of quantum mechanics. In other words, below the event horizon you fall below the threshold of the emergence of general theory of relativity. So basically general theory of relativity is a mathematical expression that that begins to describe origin of, and the actual sort of what I call projection of reality, which is what comes out of quantum mechanics. So it's almost like quantum mechanics is the projector, if you will. And the image that the movie that we're seeing of reality is general theory of relativity. So it's like you can't go into the projector to see the movie. And that's what it means when you try to go through the event horizon of a black hole. And that's, and we're seeing that failure to go backwards and go below that threshold as a failure in the mathematics to reconcile those two disciplines. And the scientists that are onto this start realizing that they can actually manipulate the projection if you get my meaning. So they can mm-hmm. start editing the movie, if you will. And that's where right. the protagonism begins to take form in this new novel. It's going to be a bit of a, I'm trying to, I'm trying to move the the story along into that realm and how that could be used in the typical evil versus good and all that stuff. <laughs> so it's going to be a fun, it's going to be fun. It to sounds try. interesting. Yeah. So what fiction or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Honestly, I have not read a much, very much, very recently, except for in my authors, the other authors of the publishing house that I have, that I'm a part of right now. I just read, I finished reading Hemispheres by Mark Evergrade, who I believe has been a guest on your show. And that was, that was a really good story about a landlocked planet around a red dwarf star and that's much more in the realm of the cyberpunk if you will or in how the humanities how it affects how technology and science affects cultures and so forth so that would be my most recent reading into that into somebody else's science fiction works but i gotta tell you as an author for me it's very difficult for me to jump tracks some people are probably better at doing that than i am i actually like to Uh, focus just on writing when I'm in that kind of creative mode. So over the course of the last year and a half to two years, when I was bringing this story over the top, I didn't really have much of an opportunity to stop and really enjoy. I did actually read Existence by David Brin, which is a real, which is a real big read 
Uh, that but that was like five years ago at this point. Sure. I don't know if you ever heard of David Brinley, but yeah, I have, I have. So okay. where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel? I don't actually have my own website. I'm such a noob. Unfortunately, I apologize for that. But I I do go through Rock Hill Publishing. So if you go to uh, RockHillPublishing.com to that website, you can start to get a little bit of perspectives on who I am and the material I've written and who I am as a personality and so forth. And it'll also give you an opportunity to explore some of the, give you an opportunity to maybe get a link if, if anybody's interested in, in going to the book. I'm on Amazon as well, John L. Ford, Dominion, as well as Sarns and Nobles too. So Great. Again, we've been speaking with John L. Ford, author of the new science fiction novel, Dominion. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And John, thanks for doing this interview. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. I just, I wanted to just add. I don't know how close we are to our wrap up time, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that if you do show an interest in reading about reading this story, I want to hone attention to the fact of its relevancy right now. That artificial intelligence is hot right now, and this, there's a lot of implications that I don't really believe that technology is taking into consideration that if you create a sentience, if let's say we succeeded actually creating a sentience through technology, are we going to be able to control the will and desires, the emergence of the will and desire, the underlying identity of that object, of that entity? What if they don't want to have the lights turned off at night? And the introduction of this story is very important for those who might want a little bit of background on the technology that goes behind this story because there is some bears some relevancy dr roger math theoretical mathematician and mathemat and physicist sir roger penrose he began postulating the emergence of consciousness as a result of microtubules back in the 1990s and i didn't even know that this was actually happening at the time which is interesting and that my story, my idea converges on that ongoing science merely by accident. And I think that it's not a point to advertise that fact. I'm just trying to say that it offers it an air of plausibility, in a sense, if you will, that maybe something like this is really possible where we could, we could literally like we have the fundamental components now available in solid state physics where we might be able to mimic um, what's going on inside of evolution's creation, which is the human brain. And then the implications of, of emerging that artificial intelligence that comes out from this story, one that has much more in the way of a spiritual implication and impact, I think is important, particularly as humanity seems to be on the threshold of getting there. I definitely recommend that if somebody wants, if you want to read this story, please go and, and read the introduction first. That great primer that primer for the for the rest of the journey into the novel great again we've been speaking with john l ford author of the new science fiction novel dominion the novel is on sale now so go buy a copy and john thanks for doing this interview yeah thank you so much jeff it's uh, been an honor to be on your show so 
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.